This is Joe Burns. And Beth West. Hey, thank you for listening to the Rock School Radio Podcast. We think you'll learn something. Now remember, if you want to hear the show with all the music in place, go to kslu.org and stream the show live. Thursdays at 5 and Sundays at 4. It's a new show every week. Now enjoy this week's Rock School Radio Show. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. Time for School, Rock School, with your hosts, Dr. Joe Burns. It's called Steel Monkey, ladies and gentlemen. Steel Monkey. Steel Monkey. Are you sure that's not Spinal Tap? No, no. It's Jethro Tull and Steel Monkey. Inspiration for Spinal Tap. Class is in. It's the Rock School Radio Show, broadcasting live from Southeastern Louisiana University. It's live now, of course. We're taping it here on a Monday, but we'll get it onto the radio Thursday and Friday. My name is Joe Burns. Beth, the hormone treatments are looking great. Thank you very much, Joe. <laughs> Thank you. It's wonderful. Now, you are the general manager of this radio station. Your name is? Todd Delaney. That's right. And uh, Beth has once again overslept. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sad to see that, man. I wish I could oversleep like that. <laughs> Is, is it the fact that you wish you just could oversleep, or you could oversleep like her? Like her. She's she, a pro. She is. It's fantastic. Good practice. It's it's one of those things where if you was an, a medal or a Boy Scout badge. She'd, she'd have three. Yeah, a little tiny circular thing with a person with her head in a pillow. Good for her. Right there. This is part two. We said we were going to do this when Beth and I, when she was awake, when when Beth and I were doing the original You Are There show where we went back and found the earliest news broadcast of famous rock and roll moments. I love that show. Well, I, I did too. Yeah. As a matter of fact, that's the show we have sent off to attempt to win yet another award for this radio show. As it should be. I know. Great show. Picking up hardware all over the place. No doubt. I wanted to do a second version of it because that one went over so well, and this is it. And so here we go. Do you remember back in 1988 when the Grammy people put out the first best hard rock metal performance, vocal or instrumental? I remember this category coming in. Right. It was going to be between Metallica and ACDC because that's all there was to it. Absolutely. I thought the hands down Metallica. I would think so. Absolutely. They put Metallica in a tuxedo. Gary Shandling was the uh, the MC that year. Not a question. Out comes uh, Alice Cooper and somebody else to announce the award. And not a question. It was going to be Metallica. Right. Do you remember who won it? Metallica, right? No. Huh? Jethro Tull uh, huh? won the silly thing. <laughs> they had put out a an album called Crest of a Knave, and it was one of those where no way they're going to win. As a matter of fact, Ian Anderson, lead singer and flautist, flutist. Yeah, let's call him a flutist. Sure. But he's a flautist. He just didn't show up. Huh? Not gonna, I'm not going to win. He stayed home on his fish farm. Uh, the, Je- the the iconic part of Jethro Tull. Didn't show up. Not there. Right. Didn't show up. And uh, stayed home. He's, he's fishing. You know, <laughs> fine. No problem. They announce it. Guess who wins? 
Jethro Tull. Wow. It was a terrible day for rock and roll, and Metallica was even bolstered farther until they destroyed themselves with the whole Napster thing. What did it sound like? Ladies and gentlemen, it sounded like this, as you are there for this hour on Rock School. The nominations for Best Hard Rock Metal Performances are... And Justice for All, Metallica. Blow up your video, ACDC. Yeah. <laughs> uh, cold Metal, Iggy Pop. Rest of a knave, Jethro Tull. Nothing shocking, Jane's addiction. And the Grammy goes to. I have the envelope here. And the winner is Crest of a knave, Jethro Tull. And they're not here, so we'll accept this and divvy it up backstage. Coming out of Jethro Tull, I should have introed the song before we went into it. That is Jethro Tull from the album Crest of a Knave. It's called Steel Monkey, ladies and gentlemen. Steel Monkey. Steel Monkey. Right. Are you sure that's not Spinal Tap? No, no. It's <laughs> Jethro Tull and Steel Monkey. Inspiration for Spinal Tap. Back in 1990, Judas Priest was brought up on subliminal messages charges. They actually have, they charge them with subliminal messages. Exactly that. It's it, it's kind of funny, but kind of not funny. They have an album called Stained Class. It's a, it's a cover of a Spooky Tooth song, a group called Spooky Tooth. Better By You, Better Than Me was the name of the song. Well, here's what happened. The, the, the timeline, I'm not sure of, but I know that it was in 1990 that the civil action was brought against the band. I believe the actual event which brought the charges was back in 1985. I might be a little off on that. But a couple of friends, James Vance and Raymond Belknap in Sparks, Nevada, decided someday in December that they would kill themselves because of Judas Priest telling them to do it. Wow. Supposedly, the words inside of Better By You, Better Than Me kept saying, get the gun, do it, do it, do it. So these two guys took a shotgun, put their heads together, and fired it. My goodness. Killed one of them, did not kill the second. And the families of the two boys decided to bring Judas Priest up on subliminal messages charges. That's the first I've ever heard of this. Is it really? Yeah, subliminal messages, charges for subliminal messages. Exactly that. And this is what the news report sounded like when Priest came into Nevada. The whole band was there to answer charges against this, and they had audio files there that proclaimed this is what it sounded like. And during the clip, you'll hear... What supposedly is, get the gun, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. And you'll hear from the prosecutor and you'll hear from priests themselves. And it sounds like this, Judas Priest on trial for subliminal messages here on Rock School. Judas Priest band members were in court, their music on trial. Alongside them, two families claiming their sons committed suicide five years ago after listening 
to Judas Priest. This case is about mind control. The manipulation of the minds of consumers for the objective of making money. Lawyers for the families claim the group put hidden subliminal lyrics into songs on their album Stained Class, a secret message that it's okay to take your own life. 18-year-old Ray Belknap had a history of drug and alcohol abuse, as did his 20-year-old friend Jay Vance. Both were high school dropouts. Raymond Belknap took this shotgun. Placed it under his chin and pulled the trigger. According to a marketing professor, the subliminal message, do it, is clear. And each time do it is increased in hysterical intensity. So it's do it, do it, do it, do it. And we pulled 12 of those out of that one song. Dr. Keeney sees images of sex and death in all kinds of things, from the Ritz cracker to 17th century art. He sees the word sex written in Lincoln's beard on the $5 bill. There is no subliminal content on the Stained Class album. If the families win this case, it could cost the band and CBS Records millions of dollars and herald a new wave of music censorship. But you say do it sometime during the recording. <laughs> no. on Rock School. Do you believe that? Because I, I know you're an audio freak. Sure, yeah. Absolutely. Do you believe... Now, they stated it was forward. Right. And it was just simply hidden in the lower harmonics and such. more Rock School. Right. Do you think that can even be done? I think it can be done. There's, there's possibility. There's some evidence of that. It is very unlikely, though. And the percentage of uh, listeners and the percentage of people that actually could pick that up really have to actively listen for it. And in that definition, it's no longer subliminal, is it? Right. That's that's what I'm getting at. While it's subliminal, because I remember a story at the same time that Kmart with the blue light specials. Sure, absolutely. Kmart used to put, I don't know that this is true or not, right, but okay. Kmart used to put subliminal messages in their overhead music. You know, keep buying, uh, purchase more, <laughs> that kind of stuff. And I never understood why that was supposedly so successful when then every 20 minutes, you know, attention shoppers, jeans are on sale at a blue light special special in aisle 13. And I'm thinking to myself, isn't the blue light special what's bringing people in? That that would do it. Right. Rather than something at the 30 hertz level (laughs) saying to me, you know, don't steal anything. Have a Coke. (laughs) Isn't that make sense Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Anything subliminal in that way. You know, again... If it if it's actively if people are actively uh, uh, motivated by something, then it's again no longer really subliminal, right? Is it? You're, you're and, being motivated by, it and you're aware of it as well. I mean, if uh, anyway, I did some some psych studies, and uh, no, 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 bunk. And they put the and they put they say one frame 
inside of a film that has a Coca-Cola on it. It doesn't make me think of Coca-Cola. It makes me go, what was that? Right, exactly. And, and I'm yeah. backing it up. Sure. And, you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't hey, think so. Hey, you got cousins, right? I got a couple. Any of them super hot? I do. Yeah, really? <laughs> no. Yeah, I could show you a photograph. You could be the judge. I, uh, I have one. Do you? I have a cousin who made her living as a model. Well, there you go. By uh, definition, she's hot. Oh, dear, so, yes. Yeah, she not really necessarily is. by your eyes, but by you know other people's eyes. Serious That's fair definition. enough. Good. Right. There's, there, there's been uh, governmental studies done, and <laughs> wow. at the end of it all, a giant white paper was created. and Certified uh, hot. Joe Burns' cousin is hot. <laughs> Wow, that's great. I'd like to work for that part of the government. <laughs> it's, it's really, it's underground. You oh, have to okay. thumbprints and palms oh, yeah, yeah. and Swordfish, eyes yeah. you have to be to get into the elevator. Gotcha. Jerry Lee Lewis, okay. back in 1958, was booed off of the stage in Britain and had to leave canceling his UK tour because when he went over there... He brought along his new wife, his uh, third wife. Well, nothing wrong right. with that, right? He's 22 years old. He's on his third wife. Did she have all her teeth? Were go, they upset about that? Go, man, go. Yeah. Sure. He was 22 years old. His wife, Myra Gale Brown, was, ladies and gentlemen, uh-huh. 13 oh. and his first cousin. Oh. Uh, first cousin, which meant she had a, a blue ribbon on. Oh. Right. <laughs> Wow. 13. (laughs) Things did not go well. Hey, do you like Barbie? I like Barbie, too. (laughs) We should get married. He gets dropped from all over the place, even in America. Only Alan Freed continues to play him. He went from $10,000 nights to $250 nights in beer joints and small clubs. Now, of course, he... You know, bounces back. Sure. But there for a while, it was horrible. And what I have is the audio of him arriving back in the United States and gets hit by an agency, a news agency, mm-hmm. sticking a mic in his face. And it's very un Jerry Lee Lewis because he holds his tongue and he's calm. Really? And you also get to hear Myra Gale Brown inside of the piece. Let's do it. This is right after he gets back. It's Jerry Lee Lewis and his child bride, Myra Gale Brown, here on Rock School. Uh, Jerry, what about this reception in London? Can you tell us about that? Yes, sir. Uh, we had a very good reception, sir. Oh, is that so? Yes, we had a very nice time, and uh, the people treated us real nice. Well, the papers reported that you were greeted with silence over there and with catcalls from the audience. Is that right? Well, I, I can't agree with them there, sir. Uh-huh. Our audience was very nice and very good. Mm-hmm. Were you there, Mrs. Lewis? At this... I was there, but I wasn't at the shows. Oh, you weren't at the shows. Mm-hmm. Oh, did you notice anything uh, like that, that sort of reception? No, it was a very good reception, I thought. Well, why did you leave? Well, uh, I don't uh, answer those questions, sir. My manager might knock my head off or something. <laughs> when were you married? Pardon? When were you married? Well, we leave our personal questions out of this, sir. <laughs> All right. Well, good luck. Thank you. Now, I hate for you to hurt me, let's police don't tease. If I can hold you, then let me squeeze. My heart goes round and round My love will tumble and You leave me Breathless Well, I shake all over and you know why I'm sure it's love, honey, that's no lie Cause when you call my name You know I'm born not
Okay, first break here on Rock School, coming out of Breathless. Uh, did you ever, as growing up child, mm-hmm. did you learn your mathematics tables, as we talk about you are there, your mathematics tables and your history and such, did you actually learn them in the classroom, or did you learn them from rock music? Well, I, I'm i kind of a traditionalist in that respect, uh, in, in the classroom. Yeah. You did? Yeah, I did. You didn't watch Schoolhouse Rock? I did, but I learned them in the classroom. Well, you know, really? I did see Schoolhouse. I, mean, I, was, I was a huge fan of Schoolhouse Rock. Saturday mornings, oh my goodness, best yeah. part. Oh, my, my kids at this point still watch Schoolhouse Rock. Really? And that's, I, I, to this day, I still sometimes have to sing Schoolhouse Rock songs. Well, absolutely. In order to do my multiplication tables. Sure, I'm figuring out Congress from uh, the bill thing. Yeah, I'm on. <laughs> That's, that's where I I, go. I'm not sure. I know that's what it says is how a bill right. becomes law, but I'm not could sure. could be antiquated. I don't know. Could yeah, be. I'm not sure that's how it actually yeah. went. Well, yeah. There was that one whole bill becomes law and then selling arms to the Contras. Well, right, right, right. That got cut out. It was a little tiny Iran-Contra cartoon <laughs> running around and, and a little cartoon Reagan. Don't forget Moneybag's bill over there in the back. Yeah, that, that was things up. That was difficult. The, yeah. But seriously, I, it was an excellent idea. And I think every person that's yours and my generation, and I'm not that much older than mm-hmm. you are, right. maybe a decade. Right. But it's it, it was how people learned a lot of this stuff. Interplanet Janet, I can still name the planets <laughs> from the sun back. Sure. Poor Pluto. It's no yeah, longer well, a planet. Yeah. And I can do my sevens and twelves and all that because of you. the schoolhouse rock. Thank you, Saturday morning. I know. <laughs> right between the Speedy Gonzalez cartoon and right. Fat whatever, Albert, right. Fat Albert, whichever came over it. So what I thought I'd do is play a quick schoolhouse rock going into it. And the one I'm going to play is the one I absolutely adore. It's the reason every person our age can sing the preamble to the Constitution. Oh, yeah. So schoolhouse rock into the break and then... We'll be back in a minute on Rock School. We the people, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Do ordain and All right, continuing on with the radio show, talking about you are there getting a hold of news reports, if you will, as close to the event as I could find them. Woodstock occurred way, way back in 1969, August of 1969, Max Yasger's 600-acre dairy farm. By the way, it took almost three years until the dairy farm was actually producing dairy again as opposed to mushrooms it's just peyote everywhere and the cows were sitting up and staring at each other and discussing chaucer woodstock was covered by cbs news on august 18th 1969 it was over people were leaving and walter cronkite throws it to this guy who's standing there i'm sure it wasn't live at the time i don't know that they had the ability he created a piece of 
It wouldn't even have been videotaped. It would have been film at the time. Right, yeah. And the guy does a real quick, this is what happened. Peace and love. A couple of people died. Yada, yada, yada. Back to you in the studio, Walter. <laughs> and it sounded like this. And out of it, we'll go right into Mountain and them playing at Woodstock. Sounds like this on Rock School. A rock music festival that drew hundreds of thousands of young people to a dairy farm in White Lake, New York. Over the weekend, came to an end today. And we have a report from Richard O'Brien. They listened for three days. And today, they sounded the retreat and headed for home. The sponsors said it was going to be three days of peace and music. It was that all right, and much more. Estimates of the crowd ranged up to more than 300,000, and it was that size that caused most of the trouble. That and the rainstorms that turned the big dairy meadow into a mud farm. The big problem was that no one, no one, had even the slightest notion that they would come in such numbers. Today, wearied but still light of heart, they huddled their masses and set out for home. And they headed in every direction. As one official pointed out, with 300,000 people, you are not dealing with just a crowd, but virtually a city. And as a city, it had city problems. One youngster died of a suspected overdose of heroin. Eighty others were arrested on drug charges. Another boy killed when the driver of a tractor failed to see him inside a sleeping bag. One of the promoters says he wouldn't try this again unless he could rent the Grand Canyon. He may have to. Already there are threats of lawsuits from local business people who called it a disgrace. The kids said it was just great. And so it's all over except for the massive cleanup job that remains. The Woodstock Music and Art Fair, having done its thing, quietly folds its tent and steals away. Till another day. Richard O'Brien, CBS News, White Lake, New York. All right, bottom of the hour here at Rock School Central, and we're going to talk pretty soon about the Rhode Island Station Fire. It was the fourth deadliest nightclub fire in U.S. history. Happened back on February 20th, 2003, up in Rhode Island uh, once again. And I have for you here a piece of audio, which is not a newscast per se, but it was a cameraman, a professional cameraman, who went to the show and was inside the building when it happened. And you get to hear a first-hand account of what was going on inside the building when the fire started. I remember this guy, actually. Oh. I remember when, it, when they aired it. Yeah. And what was nice is he was a professional. You weren't right. talking to somebody who was hellaciously frightened and tripping and tripping and tripping. Sure. This guy explains it yeah. front to back. But sure. first, let's take a quick break. Do the names once again. I'm Joe Burns. I'm Todd Delaney. And we're going to do seven days and 70 seconds, something that happened on these dates in rock and roll, November 11th through November 17th. I believe you have Monday, Todd. Go. I certainly do. November 11th, 1989, Melissa Etheridge and Joe Cocker played at the newly toppled Berlin Wall. November 12th, 1970, The Doors made their last appearance with Jim Morrison at The Warehouse in New Orleans. Right down the road. November mm-hmm. 13th, 1999, a report is released showing the Spice Girls are the highest earners in music 
for the past decade, beating out Elton John. Maybe one of the the fifth Spice Girl right there. And the fourth of the Horsemen of the Apocalypse appeared immediately the next day. Uh, November 14th, 1961, the Elvis Presley film Blue Hawaii premiered. Oh, nice. Now, November 15th, 1990, Frank Farian, producer of Millie Vanilli, publicly admitted that the group never sang a note on their album, but the vocals were sung by a series of studio musicians. Have you ever seen a picture of the musicians? I have not. They are a bunch of middle-aged, if not older-aged people. Beautiful voices, <laughs> but they sure weren't Robin Fab. Matched up with a beautiful Millie Vanilli. <laughs> November 16th, 1988, Stan Love, former Beach Boys manager and brother of singer Mike Love, was sentenced to five years years probation for embezzling over $300,000 from the group. Yowch. November 17th, 1990, David Crosby broke his left leg, ankle, and shoulder in a motorcycle accident in L.A. I'm willing to guess that for long periods of time, David Crosby never felt a thing. (laughs) Willing to bet that. Okay, on to the Rhode Island Station Fire. Once again, Thursday, February 20th, 2003. An awful, awful event, and you are there. This is Brian Butler a cameraman who was inside giving an account of what happened here on Rock School. As soon as the pyrotechnics stopped, the flame had started on the egg crate backing behind the stage, and it just went up the ceiling, and people stood and watched it. And some people backed off. When I turned around, some people were already trying to leave, and others were just sitting there going, yeah, that's great. And I remember that statement because I was like, this is not great. This is time to leave. They thought it was part of the show. They they did, obviously. There was no way to stop the fire once it started. No one had water. There was the crowd is at least ten or twelve deep from where I was. How many in the in the uh, in the uh, bar at that time? I couldn't guess, but maybe 150, 200, whatever. Uh, Inside I'm not sure. that bar, 150 people plus the yeah. band and the crew. And at that point, getting out. How did you get out? And 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 were people literally trampled as they got out? At first, there was no panic. Everybody just kind of turned. Most people still just stood there. In the other rooms, the smoke hadn't gotten to them. The flame wasn't that bad. They didn't think anything of it. Well, I guess once we all started turning toward the door and we got bottlenecked into the front door, people just kept pushing, and eventually everyone popped out of the door, including myself. That's when I turned back. I went around back. There was no one coming out the back door anymore. I kicked out a side window to try to get people out of there. One guy did crawl out. I went back around the front again, and that's when you saw people stacked on top of each other trying to get out of the front door. And by then, the black smoke was pouring out over their heads, out the side windows on the other side. An incredible account tonight from Brian Butler, who was inside the station nightclub when that fire broke. Coming out of Great Whites, we just talked about the station fire. Not to keep a fire theme going, but we did Woodstock in the first half hour. Let's do Woodstock 99 right, in this half hour. And is this, this is the Mud People, right? Well, this is Rome, New York. Was oh. that the Mud People? Uh, well, sure. Yeah, Let's I, go with that. I'm not sure that was it, but maybe you're right. Maybe you're completely right. This is the one that was to be, once again, the three days of peace, love, and music until... It was just hotter than anything. The vendors and seemingly the producers were 
bilking everybody right. that came out, you know, $8 for a bottle of water. There weren't enough bathrooms and the crowd was getting more and more and more restless until they had pretty much had enough. And finally, Limp Biscuit took the stage. And from what I've heard, those who were covering it, it was a guy from Rolling Stone. His name escapes me at the moment. It it started to get out of hand. And when Limp Biscuit came up there, Fred Durst knew the crowd's thought process mm-hmm. and began to play to it. Ooh, just fueling the fire. Right? right, and feeding it. And finally, he got to their hit, Break Stuff. Mm-hmm. And he, Fred Dirtz, kept saying, you know, didn't you ever feel like you've been taken, like you've been built, like you've been messed over, and you just wanted to break stuff? And it took off from there, and people who could got out, and people who wanted turned it into a funeral pyre. Wow. And in came, it was it was at an old um, Air Force base right. in Utica, New York. I did radio there. I mean, I knew the place very well. They sure. would hold festivals there and balloon races. And so I was usually I, much more yeah. jovial festivals. Sure. Huh? It was a very nice place to be. And it just got out of hand and it took days to finally calm everything down and get everybody out of there. So I have here a piece of audio and people talking about it. And out of it, the offspring, before the whole thing exploded, come out and play. Gotta keep them separated. So we'll do that. The piece of audio into the offspring. Sounds like this on Rock School. Near the main stage. The concert was stopped moments ago so fire trucks could get in. And a team of Eyewitness News 5 photojournalists worked through the night covering this story. And our Team 5 coverage begins this morning with Keith Koblenz, who's standing by live in Rome, New York. Good morning, Keith. What can you tell us? Oh, good morning, Don. What I can tell you is, is it's quiet out here right now. Probably the, the quietest it's been over the last few days. I arrived here at the former Griffiths Air Force Base within the past hour. I can tell you I saw a lot of traffic streaming along the New York State Thruway, heading out of town, a lot of concert goers, uh, obviously hitting the road this morning and trying to head home and leave the grounds. You saw some of the pictures a few seconds ago, and last night certainly quite a scene here. There were fires burning throughout the afternoon, but we understand that those fires grew through the day, maybe a half dozen or so, and then they got larger in intensity, and then you can see pieces of the peace wall, ironically enough, torn down as well. We had a chance to speak with uh, some of the concert promoters a short while ago, as you see state police moving in there. They talked a little bit about the future of Woodstock in the wake of last night's incident. To have this terribly unfortunate situation um, blemish, put a put a permanent blemish on what was accomplished here uh, this weekend. You're right. The mayor of Rome was here and invited us back five years from now. The three uh, producers um, were very optimistic. We were feeling we were feeling very positive.
right, coming into the second break, just a touch late. You asked about the mud people. The mud people, yes. I think, Uh and if my very quick Google-based research is correct. I'm sure it's spot on. Yeah, Woodstock 1994 is the mud people. Saugerties, New York, I think it was on Winston's Farm. Oh, okay. I say I think, but that's what it said on the Google. So I want to somehow relate it to myself as if I'm pulling something out of my head. (laughs) Gosh, you're smart, Joe. Well done, fella. Thank you, listener. Okay. Uh, we're going to play uh, Sinead O'Connor here in just a moment. I know it's Sinead, but I like Sin right at the beginning of her name as well. Yeah. But first, uh, we didn't say hello to anybody in the first break, did we? No, I think we snubbed so everybody. let's say hello. KSRQ, Thief River Falls, Minnesota. Thanks for running the radio show. Give me one. And KRFY in Sandpoint, Idaho. Thank you very much. Did we not have somebody in Alaska at least testing out the show? Yes, absolutely. So a couple of folks up in Alaska were pulling down the uh the, the kslu or you know, the uh, rock school uh, uh version and playing it up there so there you go we got, got a couple of alaskans listening to us so we're well. not they're not quite an affiliate yet but they're at least testing us out exactly so we may be in alaska soon i'm excited prices are slightly higher in alaska a little bit right yeah, yes that's fantastic thing okay to go into the break Sinead o'connor okay sinead i'll just give it to you sinead o'connor you got to know what I'm talking about. Sure, her love for the uh, Pope. <laughs> sure. And you know the very next week, Madonna did the same type of thing, except she tore up, I think, pictures of... of um, Sinead O'Connor? No, oh, which okay. would have been really funny. Right, yeah. Uh, I think it was uh, starving children, oh, okay. meaning stop this type thing. Right. But Sinead O'Connor herself, on October 3rd, 1992, was doing an acapella version of Bob Marley's War. And what was really funny, if you go and look at it online, mm-hmm. she really does a nice job of it. I remember it. that, right. She And it was very uplifting sure. and very... I remember know, watching the episode thinking, right. man, I, I really like Sinead O'Connor. I'm digging the bald head. Even as a young little uh, you know, teenager, I was you like, know. wow, I like that bald chick. She's she's pretty cool. Not bad. And mm. nothing compares to you, goes into falsetto and such. Absolutely. She's a talented lady. Look at this. And then it all went south. <sighs> Tell and us what happened. She pulls out a picture of the Pope and rips it. And some people are of the opinion, well, she just ripped it once. Oh, no, no kids. Yeah. She tears it three or four times. If you listen closely during the audio, and wow. away it goes. So, gosh, Joe, what's it sound like? I happen to have it here. Here is the end of the song right into it. When she says, I think it's fight the real enemy. I think those are her words. If not, you'll hear it in just a second. Here it goes on Rock School right into the break. We have confidence. In the victory of good over evil. Fight the real enemy. Okay, because of what we're doing here on Rock School, this has to be our last break because we simply have to play the audio and that sort of runs us into a bit of trouble here. Let me tell you the ones I brought that I'm not going to play. Fire the death them of, off. You know, death of Elvis Presley. Yeah. Downer. Oh, yeah. Uh, Phil Spector was found guilty of the death of actress Lana Clarkson. Right, yeah. Still to this day, he proclaims it was a 
either a suicide or a mistake Mm -hmm. because I often mistakenly put 38 caliber revolvers inside of my mouth. Well, you know, those things, accidents happen. I was doing it yesterday just for the fun of it. Honey, watch this. Yeah, there's no label on the gun. It isn't, and which means you could you could go ahead and do that. Yeah. Uh, Dimebag Daryl Abbott oh. shot on stage uh, while performing with Damage Plan. So many people. I mean, Jeff Mayhem Thompson, the head of security for the band, was killed while tackling the shooter. His name was Gail. Right. Uh, audience member Nathan Bray was killed trying to perform CPR on Abbott and Thompson. Everything uh, about this guy it was, was hideous. just nothing nice. Uh, a crowd member leapt in front of the gunman, putting his hands up, saying, stop, 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 and he killed him. Mm. Uh, the drum technician was shot three times as he attempted to get the gun away from Gail. I mean, people tried right. like crazy to stop him. And uh, finally, a police officer pulled a shotgun out of his, you know, what do you call it, squad car, right. went in and ended it mm. right there. Jeez. And you can see on the video, the, the cop is just, his eyes are as wide as saucers. He just yeah. killed a man. Yeah. And you can hear the stage manager saying to the, you know, to the, to the cop, you had to do it. You had to do right. it. It was yeah. really frightening. But we're going to end on this one here. The Who in Cincinnati. Back December 3rd, 1979, they were on a short tour, The Who, of -hmm. the United States. And in Cincinnati, Riverfront Coliseum, 11 fans died because it was festival seating. The whole thing wasn't festival seating. So you didn't have assigned tickets. Some people did, some people didn't. When they, the fans, heard The Who doing a sound check, they rushed. Mm -hmm. And 11 people were either crushed to death or trampled. Show went on, the Who didn't know anything about it. And the next day, I have a quick introduction because what I have is from Britain, but it's only a quick introduction. And then they play a local piece. Okay. So that's what they have. Hmm. And, uh, and that wraps it up. We'll end up with the Who after this little piece of audio explaining what happened. So there you are. Thanks for sitting in. You're very welcome. Very nice, Beth. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Todd. Class is dismissed. Good evening. The Who pop group have said they'll campaign for changes in the safety laws at rock concerts after the stampede at Cincinnati, which killed 11 of their fans. The fans were trampled to death as thousands of people tried to get into the concert hall where the British pop group were playing. The mayor of one American city has himself already cancelled one Who concert because he fears a repeat of the Cincinnati deaths. The stampede began when thousands of fans burst through doors to get unreserved seats. A youth outside said... They were ready to kill to get a good view of the concert. It was a frantic stampede. Thousands of impatient young people trampling over each other in a rush to get unreserved seats for the rock concert. And after the rush, 11 lay dead or dying, trampled and smothered by a crowd that officials say had lost all sense of rationality. Some had been drinking, others high on drugs, waiting for the doors to open. Those who survived without injury called the stampede a nightmare. We was up at the top and everybody was just pushing. I was on the bottom for about 20 minutes. You was being stomped on for 20 minutes? I, I was. I couldn't breathe. I thought I was dying. I lost my shoe. The tragedy outside the Coliseum did not stop the concert. And ironically, many of the people inside with reserved seats said they were not aware that anyone was killed at the entrance. People who survived the crush said there were not enough doors used to handle the huge crowd. And officials admitted that the general admission seating arrangements for about half the audience was a factor in the tragedy.